Weekend Show with Ken Kidney. Good morning, good evening, good night, and welcome to the Weekend Show. My name is Ken Kidney, and I am joined by my lovely co-host, Gareth. Say hi to the lovely people, Gareth. Guten Tag. We have a slightly condensed show for you this week. We unearthed some of the more interesting stories with the week in words. And in our spotlight, we say goodbye to the legendary wrestler, American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, who died suddenly after a short illness on Wednesday. But first, Gareth, let me know all about your week. I'm dying to find out. So last week, we talked all about blockbusters. And this week I went to see kind of the, the first big blockbuster of the summer, obviously with the Avengers and uh, Fast 7 already gone. I want to see Jurassic World. I am jealous because I have not seen this film yet. And please do not spoil it for me. Spoilers, there's dinosaurs. Spoilers, Chris Pratt is amazing. Spoilers, you've been working all week. <laughs> yes, I've been working all week, hence our condensed version this week. But let the people know without spoiling it horribly, what your impressions of Jurassic Park are. I was going to say Jurassic Park. It's Jurassic World. It's, it's bigger than life itself. Yes, it's it's really good. Like it's really really good because it does a really good job of paying really neat little homages to the original film, the original Jurassic Park, while being something entirely good in its own right. So there's like nods because there, there's um, Dave, David or Richard Attenborough. David Attenborough. Richard. Richard. Richard Attenborough's character uh, Hammond. Uh, he's referenced throughout the film, so it's it's like a direct continuation of the first film. But there's a, a bunch of really like uh, really cool little nods. Plus, they use the theme song. That was going to be my. Ne- that was actually going to be my next question. Yeah, they have the theme song. They have the theme song. I'm sold because uh, Michael uh, Giacchino he did the music for it rather yes. than John Williams, and he he it wasn't the ego on his part. There wasn't hubris, you know. Oh, I'll do a better theme song. It's like people love the awesome Jurassic Park theme song. I'm going to put it in there. Exactly. One of the saving graces of the recent RoboCop reboot was that they also used the original theme music. Yeah. So I think if like it's like a TV show, like I always say, a rule of thumb for me is if a TV show has a great theme song, I'm automatically going to like it more. Mm. It's the same with films for me. Yeah, I look forward to the next episode just to get back to the theme song. But that that annoyed me about the Avengers too because it was a uh, Brian Tyler did the score to the second one, yeah. and he didn't use the original theme. And the original team is awesome. Blasphemy. It is. And there's the scene in the Avengers where they do the kind of round circle bit and they're all fighting robots. And that's the moment when the team should kick in. It should be there. And it's not. So if you were to give it a score out of five dinosaur claws. Uh, four and a half raptor claws. Why raptor, raptor claws? Raptor claws. Why are you taking off half a, a raptor claw? It's not like some kind of ending. It's not really a transformative film or anything. It's just a damn good blockbuster. Yeah. And actually, there's toward the end, there's a moment where they just use a few notes of the original theme in the perfect place. It's like, it's perfect. And they only use a few notes of the nah, 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 nah. And it's just like, perfect. Do you think it made a difference to have Steven Spielberg back on board? Well, he was on board for all of them. He did executive produce the, the, the second and third. But you can kind of sense the waning influence as the, yeah. the further it got. How much do you think he knew about the other two films? Uh, I think he got the paycheck. <laughs> but like, that's about it. Yes, that's a film. Like this film has already made $212 million. It's been out since Thursday. Wow. We're recording this on Saturday. It's been out for three days. It's made $212 million. So it's nearly made its money back. It's already, already made its money back. It costs $150 to make. Well, like a Hollywood, a Hollywood rule of thumb is that you make... Your money plus a half to cover promotion and then yeah. your profit. So it's stuff. already made the, the cost of the film back. 
and it, it's going to be one of the biggest opening weekends in the history of film. Do you think it's it'll, going to it'll easily cross the billion by the dollar mark? Do you think it's going to surpass Furious and Avengers? Furious is a big Furious is a biggin. Yeah. 1.5. It started faster than those two films did. Yeah, but will it sustain? Over will it sustain? Is the question. It'll, it'll break the billion, pretty much no bother, I'd imagine. But it, it, it's it's it, it deserves it. It's so it's the sequel Jurassic Park deserved. Yeah, because the first, the second two or two and three aren't. Is it the hype or is is it that? How, what do you think is putting people in? Is it just the name? Do you think or the curiosity? I think absence makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah, because it's been how long? Was it two thousand two or something? Was Jurassic Park three? I can't really remember. It was I, early two thousands. I, I think. I remember anyway. half watching that film. Yeah. Not being terribly interesting. It's been a very long time, and Jurassic Park was one of like it's the benchmark for blockbusters. That's yeah. a film people remember that film very fondly and justifiably because it's a, it's a really good film. Here's a question for you: In the original film, do you remember that Samuel Jackson is actually in it? Yes, but I didn't until I saw if it, I saw he was in it. If that makes any sense? Yeah. So it's so strange. It's actually every time I see it, I forget that he's in it. It's like, yeah. oh yeah, it's one of it. his first kind of big film roles, isn't it? Yeah, around '93, I think it was. Yeah. So he had hair then. He did. And uh, he had. Less sunglasses. Sam Neill hasn't gone on to quite as big things. Yeah. He starred in the recent FIFA film. Yeah. Which made a little over $600 in its opening weekend. Yeah. I mean, there's so... uh, I mean, like, I think it's been universally panned as one of the worst films ever made. One of the worst films ever. It cost 30 million, about 20 of which was put up by FIFA. So basically, it was a piece of utter tripe. Yeah. Which only served as self-indulgent. Pretty much. And how was your weekend? My work is pretty good, uh, working a lot, as I said, because the podcast don't pay the bills, unfortunately. But if you keep listening, you can change that, people. Listen. Send us some checks. We're just going to put just random subliminal listens into the rest of the podcast. So just listen. Get up to anything anyway? One of the things I did during the week was Saw Sweet Charity. Uh, you may remember in our first podcast, we sp- spoke to Nicole McDonough and we heard from some of the cast. Uh, I brought my mother. She was very happy to come. <laughs> Stay out for um, yeah it really it really lived up to to the hype we gave it though and i'm not just saying that because we know nicole well yep it really like uh, for an amateur society they really put on a great show made a great effort the house was packed nearly all the nights so i'm told definitely the night i went it was pretty much full the the, the, the crowd was reacting to the comedy they were they, like some of the dance sequences were extremely well choreographed something that you'd see on any stage in the west end so and like i think that the passion was there and maybe like some of the, the the shortcomings were covered over or were were left behind because I was like, yeah, well, you know, it's not perfect, but yeah. you know, it's not going to be perfect. But you could see the passion and enthusiasm, and that really kind of lifted the audience as well. Uh, and the the lead Shannon was playing Charity was incredible. Uh, she really made a lot of brave choices in terms of the character, really brought it to life, kind of embodied the character, made you know like quirky little ch- choices that kind of really brought the character to life. If you missed it, shame on you. Uh, Cork City Musical Society should be back next year with another show, so make it your business to see one. That's my pitch over now. Hmm. Uh, one of the things I saw during the week, speaking of, of things I saw, was The Tribe on Channel 4. It's about uh, a Hamar tribe in Ethiopia, and it basically it airs Thursdays at 9 on Channel 4, also available on All 4, which is their website. I think they do a YouTube channel as well that they air all their programs on. It kind of comes across in the same vein as recent uh, documentary, TV documentaries like uh, Educating Yorkshire, Educating Essex, Educating the West End or East End or West End. 
East End, I think. I don't know. Both Can't remember sense. which one needs educating. Yeah, it's like West End, but that has a lot of theater musicals people. and. Yeah. <laughs> but it's the East End anyway, and basically it follows a tribe of people in Africa, and it just tries to show what similarities that we have, even though we have vastly different cultures. The first episode was about a uh, an arranged wedding. Uh, the leader of the family, each family has a leader, and these leaders are elected to an overall council amongst the families because they stick together and they share each other's interests and they support each other but uh the, the leader basically the entire episode was him complaining about how old he is how much he hates kids <laughs> uh, and how much he wants uh, to, his sons to take over in in the running of the village and uh, the interests of the family so uh most of the episode was focused on how they can they were negotiating to try and get their youngest brother a, a wife and the starting point in the negotiations was that the family of the bride wanted three more goats. <laughs> and they're like, if you give them the goats, they're never going to stop asking for goats. <laughs> so no goats here. Can't give you giving people goats. Can't be trading goats for marriage. And then he was like, uh, yeah, I'll give you some more goats. It'll happen in the next two or three days or so. And then he kept on stalling on the goats. <laughs> and the the granddaddy of the, the, the bride was not too happy and he nearly put the kibosh on the wedding we have to find out what happens next week i don't want to spoil too much so check it out i highly recommend it that's it's it's different i don't think there's cameramen in that one is there well i'm pretty sure they they went in they installed the cameras and then they just take the footage yeah they have a few set interviews where they'll sit the the tribe people down and they'll and one of the crew members will ask them questions but for the most part they actually kind of took their hands off and they actually just put cameras in there and just let them live how they live and it's actually remarkable how similar some of these people are yeah. to us. Like they have, like they're like they. One of the guys in in the village went to school. He has a mobile phone, and they're all like bewildered by this mobile phone. They're like, "Who's he talking to on that bricky thing?" And you know, they kind of wear Western clothes. Like more of the women wear no clothes than the, the children, but the men actually wear Western clothes. So it's kind of a weird mixture of. Like it's probably traditional like, values and modern times. That exactly. Kind of thing. So like they're, it's like they're stuck. They're like they're like a traditional tribe with all the the weird customs, but they're also kind of nineties ish, because they're like getting like like radio and yeah. Uh, well, radios is a kind of more of a fifties thing, but like what I mean is just they're embracing a little bit of of modern culture, and it's just kind of fascinating to see the juxtaposition between the two the two ways of life. So check it out on all four. It's available. And it airs on on Channel Four at nine PM uh, every Thursday. So that's my my next pitch done. So uh, the Cork Musical Society, uh, Cork City Musical Society, I should say, and Channel Four will be giving us a nice kickback for that. And hopefully Jurassic World with all the money they're making yeah. in our dreams. I, I should yeah, think. give us give us like point zero 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 one of a percent, and I'll be very happy. Exactly, we'll be laughing, and we'll be we'll be recording this podcast in the south of France. Yeah. Okay, so that was our little chat there to uh, kick things off. Next up is our Week in Words. Stick around and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Don't! Sideshow Bob is finally going to get his man and he's going to kill Bart Simpson. Murder him dead. That's like, when I read that, I was like, wow. Yeah. Is that what they're resorting to now? Well, I kind of, it's, it's a Treehouse of Horror episode, obviously. So it's the kind of uh, 
outside Par- of the, yeah, outside parallel universe, yeah. non-canon kind of stuff. Outside of the continuity of the show. Yeah. But it's kind of a jip in some ways, as in they go for it, and then they go like, oh, it wasn't Yeah, real. but that's The Simpsons anyway. It's always like this, this world-changing stuff happens, and it doesn't matter by the, the end of the next, or the end of the start of the next episode. Yeah, that's the kind of running gag that got old maybe 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, world ends, but now everything's the same. But I th- I think it's it's a good idea because I'd imagine his life is going to be relatively empty without I imagine because Bart Simpson has been his defining feature since the early nineties. Yeah, so it's kind of like what do you do when you achieve that one thing yeah. that you you've been aiming for your whole life? What happens when you finally murder your nemesis? Cassie Grammer is coming back to do the voice, which is always a bonus. He's, he's very good at Sideshow Bob, isn't he? It's literally his. It's one of his defining roles, it maybe is. besides Frasier. Him, but that and Frasier, like when you write the Kelsey Grammer obituary, you'll be mentioning Sideshow Bob and Frasier. Uh, producer and showrunner Al Jean has confirmed the storyline at a festival panel, panel earlier this week. It's kind of cool. It'll be kind of fun to see it. But yeah. I would like to see what would happen if they actually did kill off Bart. They actually killed off Bart. Like the family guy killed off Brian. Like forever. And then brought him back three episodes later. Yeah, well, they killed off Fat Tony and then they end up having his cousin and then doesn't end up being fat tony and then they kind of never referenced it again yep so that's kind of weird but at least at least they're not doing it in the same way family like killed off ryan because that seems much more stuntish yeah. whereas this theme it's like they're making it clear this is one story for one episode i mean you can't really kill off bart that's not, not really, gonna no. work but i think they're just doing anything they want now because they realize they can never be cancelled so considering harry shearer left their show Maybe yeah. they just kill off a bunch of his characters yeah. in a, a giant bus Paradise. crash. Yeah, they're like there's some kind of I don't know. Yeah, some kind of killer on the loose. Too. Yeah, it kills Principal Skinner in Flanders. That would have some impact, and then he can finally be with Maud again. Yeah. Um, so another storyline that's revealed coming up later this year or in the near future is Marge and Homer are going to legally separate after he falls in love with a pharmacist. <laughs> Sorry, spoiler alert. Yeah, played by Lena Dunham. Ugh. Don't like Lena Dunham? I've never watched Girls. Girls is so boring. I've never watched it. It's for girls, I know. It reminds... Uh, looking at it, I've never watched Louis either, but it seems like Louis aimed at women. You're like, nothing happens, nothing happens, over. Right. You're waiting for something to happen, and you might get the odd chuckle out of something weird Lena Dunham says, but... And she's lauded for it because it promotes women and, and it's strong female characters, which I can appreciate. But it seems a bit aimless to me. That's right. just my opinion on it. Uh, as you said, Harry Shearer left. Uh, the weird thing was, they all got offered a new contract for the same money. They all took it. And he said it wasn't enough. So yeah. I don't think that really was the issue. There. Well, they took a pay cut a few years ago of 30%, wasn't yeah. it? Down to 300 grand an episode, which 300 grand an episode. That's crazy. I don't know He's 71 years though. old, Harry Shearer. Wow. Yeah. He looks well for it. He does. I would have said 60 at most. Yeah. So he's looking well. I don't really, like, I think that maybe, like, there was a rumor. Do you ever hear that weird rumor that, it, like, Mac Groening doesn't want to do the show anymore, so he's trying to get it cancelled by doing all this stupid stuff? He's not doing a very good job of it. Yeah. Because, like, the, the, that negotiation was to renew the show for another two or three seasons, I think it was. Yeah. The recent one. Um, How many years now? It's going Season 26, I think. Yeah. It's, like, it's been going longer than I've been alive. 26, yeah, because it, it debuted when I was born, around about 89. Yeah. Uh, it was on the Tracy Ullman show before that as a, as a as short a kind of skit. Recurring skit, yeah. Yeah, but that's astounding success. But it's also a question of does something, a scripted ep- episodic television show need to last that long? And or can it last that long? Th- we're, we're talking about uh, 
marriage and Homer getting legally separated. There's an episode like that every single season. Yeah. You know, where Homer does something stupid that angers marriage. Homer goes off wandering. She marriage is like, yeah, oh, I'm done with this. I'm done with this. Then Homer does some gesture, wins her back. And this, this, that's exactly how that episode will go. The as gesture well. is supposed to be like, oh, he's usually like, Marge, I'm stupid and I need you. Yep. Um, so it's it's kind of retreating old ground again and again and yeah. again. Al but Jean- after 26 seasons, 22 episodes a season, what are you going to do? do? Yeah, Al Jean is confirmed. Yes, it is a temporary move. But he says like uh, like it will likely be like a one episode deal. But he actually has said it might tread on unprecedented ground and stretch to two episodes. Two whole oh a two part special. Like the story will not be resolved at the end. It'll be resolved at the end of the next. So one. they're going to subvert their own. Uh, trope in order to shock us but they've told us about it already yep so we're not going to be surprised how much longer do you think the simpsons will last i think there's an appetite for the crew to stop doing it but there's just so much money on the table yeah that like they still i think i imagine they still like enjoy working together because you become a you can't do that for 30 years and not become a family but it seemed like the last time it came to almost breaking point when they had the negotiation and it nearly fell through and there was the rumors of the cancellation. And I think some of them mightn't have been too upset if it had happened. As in, like, it was, it, it is coming time. I don't think anything can last for 26 years. No. Uh, like, you see, Law and Order lasted a very long time. And it's that, that fell a few years ago. So there's rumors of bringing that back. CSI, which has been running for the last 15 years, is wrapping up in September. Yeah. So you see a lot of those kind of legacy television franchises coming toward an end. Maybe it's, it's time for The Simpsons to go with it. I think Modern Simpsons gets a hard time. There is actually the odd gem of an episode, and like maybe we should do a little bit of a uh, uh, of a section on that sometime. We'll watch a bunch of uh, the last the last three seasons of The Simpsons and say, and point, "Look, it's not that." And bad, point guys. out the good ones so people yeah. don't have to waste their time. Because people put the first eight or so seasons on a pedestal, but it's it's at worst moderately inoffensive. I still laugh at The Simpsons yeah. from time to time. I still get a chuckle out of some episodes. They're not covering, like, there's not the same level of sheer comic genius in there anymore, but they're decent episodes. The one thing that really bothers me is the, the random thing that will lead to another random thing in the second half of the episode. Oh, yeah, where they, it's like, we're at a science convention, wandering around science convention, time machine, rest of the episode, that yeah. kind of thing. Not even time machine. Homer slips on a banana peel, and then it turns out that he... he Falls in love with the nurse. And, exactly. Yeah. Or the pharmacist, as it says here. But getting said, the pills after he fell on the banana peel, then that breaks the relationship. Exactly. They do that a lot, where kind of a very random thing happens in the first act that sets up the second act yeah. in a very kind of very non-connected way. It's really almost like trying to fit a triangle through a circle. Yeah. Al Jean has said that my advice is to everybody is that never that we never carry on anything for more than an episode or two, and for some people reason people thought this was going to last forever and it was well, it wasn't but they, <laughs> the second i read this it's like this is a one episode plot they did it on purpose though they kind of they kind of put it out there let it dangle and then it's like actually it's going to be the same as always yeah it's the same with the the bart side job thing it's just put it out there get the simpsons some attention people might watch it next year they, they seem to be doing that a lot lately like they really announced the family guy crossover yeah. a, a long time in advance uh just to get people to watch it they like gave away the game early and they announced that a character was going to die long in advance but i can't even remember who died it's crusty's dad oh yes but there was rumors it was going to be crusty and people were like really like oh wow yeah and they really kind of bait and switch just on that one crusty's dad 
It was that, and one they, episode. They built that one up for a long time, didn't they? Yeah, they said, they, I think they announced a year in advance that someone yeah. was going to die. And he's only in it once. Yeah. One episode, I think. Well, he was in like the background of other episodes, but there's only one episode that really focused on him. him like and, the one where they reconciled after yeah. many years. Which was a good episode. It wasn't as impactful 20 years later no. when he died. We live in an age of frivolous lawsuits, but this next story really takes the biscuit. Chinese man is trying to sue superstar actor Jiao Wei for staring at him too intensely through his TV set. Chinese man sues movie star for staring at him too intensely through the TV. The man claimed that movie star, I'm going to probably butcher the name, but Zhao Wei stared at him too intensely through his TV set, claiming that the experience had caused him spiritual damage. That, that makes me suspect. <laughs> Uh, Zhao, who is one of China's biggest movie stars, plays a pushy mom in the offending uh, primetime show Tiger Mom. Tiger Mom. You're, you're back to the, the Asian accent. <laughs> I have to do one in every episode. Now. Yeah. It's like an Easter egg. Seriously, though. Stared at him too intensely. Caused him spiritual damage. <laughs> yeah, so this all comes from in early May when China passed new laws that made it more difficult for courts to reject lawsuits. The new rules have already seen a, a, an increase in claims with just over 1 million suits filed in the month of May alone an increase of 29% on May 2014 that's exactly what we need more frivolous lawsuits so the I'm going to butcher this as well because it's also a Chinese pronunciation Shanghai Pudong yeah. New District Court acknowledged that the case was in progress but they declined to comment on, on whether it will go ahead or not Zoolander 2 was announced recently not going to do well in China. <laughs> the Blue Steel Stair is just going to cause so many people spiritual damage that they, they just can't show the film there. Correction Guard, Blue Steel 2. Will it be a different stair? Yeah, because it's a sequel. He has yeah. to come up with a new one. He has to come up with a new stair. Ben Stiller will be broke because yeah. men and women all over China will see his ass. And they won't, they won't go see his film because it'll cause them spiritual damage. Damage them, damage their soul. And like, it's, it's actually kind of interesting how like how they they mark themselves as different from Western values, uh, how like American culture is really creeping into creeping into their society. Because one of the major societies you would associate with frivolous lawsuit culture is America. Yeah. So like they're actually becoming like America in a lot of ways. I like the way it, this is kind of a, a unique mix of American influence and then the Chinese traditional values. Because spiritual damage sounds very kind of Asian culturally, yeah. and then it's a frivolous lawsuit. It's a really nice combination of those two things, isn't it? Yeah, and I, was, I really like the name of the show, Tiger Mom. Tiger Mom. Apparently, it's about a mom and a dad who clash on how to raise their daughter. Like, the mom is really pushing her to be, like, the best she can be, like a typical Asian mom, wanting her to do all these extracurricular activities and being, like, really smart. And the dad is like, whatever. Is, Just is, be happy. Is the child a tiger? Because that would make for a better TV show. That would be more of a, a reality TV show, I think. Just have very, very, like, professional parents where they're raising tigers. And ideally not being eaten. I would. We, we should. We're going to update you on this one. We're, we're going to keep an eye on this one and see <laughs> if it actually goes to court and if the man actually wins. Uh, somehow, I don't think he will. It will be a triumph for justice. It will. If Facebook's world domination was in doubt, you might want to listen to this. Facebook Messenger has been downloaded more than one billion times on Android devices. Facebook Messenger hits 1 billion downloads on Android devices. The popular Messenger app joins an exclusive club to reach 1 billion downloads on the Google Play Store. 
Other apps to reach the impressive milestone are WhatsApp and Google products, Gmail, Search, Map, and YouTube. Not surprising on the on the Google Play Store because they're probably promoting those products. Yep, the most. and everyone wants YouTube and yeah, Google anyway. It's kind of an interesting feat because there was a lot of early backlash to it when they basically made users adopt adopt the Messenger app Force because on, yeah, yeah. they actually removed Messenger from the native Facebook app. Which annoyed me, but then I ended up downloading Messenger. Yeah. Because I think that's the case with most people. It's like, this is dumb. This is stupid. Why can't I just use this in Facebook? But I want to use the Messenger thing. It's kind of like we were talking about last week with fa- like YouTube ads. We yeah. kind of basically just like grumble, 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 and then get over it eventually. And Download. Just, <laughs> and just like, it's like, I know so many friends like, I'm not doing it. I'm not downloading this. I app. was the same. I was the exact same. I'm not doing it. And it's like, Oh, I want to contact people. And uh, usually I'd like, if I was on my mobile and I saw, because you could see on the, the Facebook app that you have a message, but then you'd have to go into the other app to see it. I'd be like, I have to turn my computer on now to check that because I'm not going to download the stupid app. And I eventually just downloaded the stupid app. So in other words, convenience will win in the end. It will always win. Cases. Yep. Convenience will beat you down until you finally uh, give up to it. Have you tried Facebook Call, one of the features on there? I haven't. It's actually eerily good because I've used it to call my girlfriend a few times and it actually sounds like she's in the room with you if you put it on speaker. Mm. So like they've really invested in that and I like that's one of the things that actually helped me adopt it and I was like, yeah, well, I hate myself for it, but it is quite good. And I won't, I just won't tell anyone about it. Yeah. Like, are you using messenger apps? Like, no, 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 I'm using uh, Skype. (laughs) You scab. Facebook, there were rumors of kind of Facebook's demise recently, hasn't there? Or at least a decline in Facebook because younger people are moving away from Facebook and then older people. Well, once your parents are on Facebook, I think that's a sign that it's young, to pe- move on yeah, young people are going to go to something else. Is there a new thing though? Uh, well, I suppose there's the likes of Snapchat and WhatsApp and, well, Facebook own WhatsApp now, don't yeah. they? I really resented having to move from Bebo to Facebook. Yeah. And I just don't think I have it in me anymore. I'm too old. I can't move on my stuff again. Because they've relaunched Bebo recently and nobody cared. And MySpace is still there. It's for musicians, though. I think they're trying yeah. to angle it at musicians. But I'm too old to move again. And it's going to stay on Facebook. Yep. And I'll be like that last one person left when everyone else is left going, I'm still here. Yeah. And then you'll have to friend everyone when you move on to whatever the hell the next thing is. Going forward, they're going to move into video chat money transfer, which Snapchat are also doing. I, you can see it's probably because, oh, well, we'll transfer your money, take a small cut. So again, convenience. Snapchat are basically trying to be like the swiss army app yeah like we do everything we do random uh, we do photos we destroy instantly and we'll send your money to people and videos we destroy instantly and you can do messenger now which completely defeats the purpose of or and novelty of the app because it was supposed to be snaps in place of messages yeah um i don't have a snapchat they're also going to include third-party app integration what do they mean like outsider apps will be able to link into messenger and oh, right. able to yeah. use add-ons and stuff like that I can't really see the application for that now. but No, neither can I. But no doubt they'll come up with something. There was a recent controversy as well over the app's location services, which tracks users' location by default. Which is slimy, to say the least. Yeah. And it, literally, you can't turn it off. Well, it, you can turn it off, but it, it when you download the app, it automatically does it. The default setting shouldn't be to stalk you. Exactly. A Harvard student who was getting ready to have uh, an internship at Facebook made a, a Chrome extension to track friends to the nearest meter. He called it, this is pretty cool. And the only good thing about it, because it's really sleazy, he called it the Marauder's Map. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. I solemnly swear I'm up to no good. 
Yeah, the extension was quickly discontinued and Facebook no longer tracks locations by default. That's that's a good thing. So it was a PR PR nightmare that they quickly covered up and it's really weird. It could be like I remember hearing about it for like three days and Facebook literally threw the fire blanket yep. on it and you never heard about it again. Mischief managed. In other news, not such a good week for Facebook's social media rival Twitter. On Thursday, the chief executive of Twitter, Dick Costello, announced he would be quitting at the end of this month. Twitter chief executive Dick Costello quits. The chief executive of Twitter has quit the social network. Uh, Dick Costello has declared that he intends to leave the microblogging juggernaut in July. A quote from Costello said that, I'm tremendously proud of the Twitter team and all that the team has accomplished together during my six years with the company. We have great leaders who work well together and a clear strategy that informs our objectives and priorities. A search committee will search for the replacement inside and outside Twitter, but sources say that the official decision probably won't come before the end of the year. Twitter president Adam Bain is the clear frontrunner to succeed Costello as CEO. If rumours are to be believed, you do not have clear objectives and priorities, which is the reason for his getting the boot or jumping before he was pushed. Twitter are struggling quite badly to make money. It's a hard thing to monetize because I know they have promoted tweets. Yep. But according to uh, according to Forbes, that it's going to be one of the main challenges of whoever takes over. They've got to incorporate advertising because there's very little advertising on Twitter, as you said. Promoted tweets is is about the only thing you see. And celebrity involvement. But you can you know say when you see trends on Twitter. Yeah. And there's usually blank space down the end to the left. Yeah. You could easily put ads in there. And People I, would tolerate it. No as well. one would care. Well, uh, Forbes, as I said, will have said that Baines will have time to prove to the board of directors and the investors that he has a plan to turn things around at the 24 billion tech company. You see, the, the problem is Twitter have a relatively high in- engagement rate. You know, the users they have use Twitter quite a lot. Like 330 million monthly, I think. Yeah. Whereas the problem is they don't have that many users. And you, you kind of you're kind of fooled into the idea that Twitter is this really, really big thing. And it is. But like compared to, say, Facebook, it, it's dwarfed by Facebook. It's a really, really big thing, but it's not actually a good business. Is yep. that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's a big thing amongst the people who use it, as opposed to the people on the outside looking in. There's a theory that he fell victim to Wall Street's impossibly high expectations. Yeah. Shares fell, dropped from 31, shares dropped 31% from $51.66 on April 27th. To $35.84 on June 11th, the day of his announcement that he was about to leave. So companies underperforming, shareholders are, are pulling out left, right and center. CEO kind of has to go at that stage. Yeah, there, there was also talk of tensions over with him and Bain over the direction of the company and who should be the public face. Like he'd send Bain out, Bain out to like public events and then say, no, I'm going to do it instead. He was just like pulling the plug on all his public Seriously. appearances. The management infighting. Yeah, so there are there are rumors, there are rumblings of a takeover from who? Google, notably. You can see Google being very interested in Twitter. Yeah, Google are very interested in everything, frankly. But Google have trouble with figuring out how to monetize some of their own things. I know they have like massive success with ads on Google and YouTube and YouTube, but some of their ventures are actually a lot less profitable. Well, Google Plus never got off the ground. Google Glass. They gave up on that. Yeah, a little plug on that one. Mostly because. Pretty much anyone that ever saw it's like, that's stupid. Yeah. And probably dangerous. It is quite dangerous. Then our next big thing is the Google car, which is going to be self-driving. Apparently. If they get that right, that'll make a lot of money. But if they get it wrong, it could sink the entire company. So is it a, a time to take on a, a, a flagging company like Twitter? Uh, I think I could see I could see Google buying Twitter. 
Google like buying anything. Here's a question, Gary. You're a business head, mm-hmm. business degree. How do you monetize Twitter besides maybe ads? There's no other way to do it than ads, really. That's how everything is funded on the internet. Everything is funded through ads. All the YouTube videos, all like websites, every bit of content you read for free on the internet, uh, you're funding through ads or you're funding through giving up your own information. Would there be such a, a question of maybe premium accounts with added features for, say, celebrities and other people that want to promote their tweets? Like more so than they have already. I know they have promoted tweets now, but like yeah. maybe like Facebook have a kind of a thing where you can set up thing and you can pay certain money to have your tweets seen by more people and stuff like that. You can do that. That's yeah. that's the idea of promoting a tweet. I understand that, but like it doesn't seem very clear. Like like it do, like I don't think it has the kind of influence that they would want it to. They don't really push it as much as Facebook do because I know we have the the Facebook account for this. Yes, and there's literally everything you click on. There is an option. Do you want to promote this for money? Do you want to boost this tweet? Like, no, we're super yeah. popular. Like every every single thing you look at, it's like, do you want to boost this so more people can see it? And Twitter don't force that as much, do they? No, they really Cause don't. They, and they have added the the ability to look at your analytics, at least on the desktop version. So you can see how many people saw your tweet, how many people engaged with it. And I think that's kind of a move to try and almost peer pressure people into promoting their tweets. And the yeah. desperate social media managers who see, oh, my tweets aren't doing so well, let's promote them. So I can say, look at my engagement rates. Do you think no matter how successful or how well capitalized these companies are, that social media websites have a shelf life and there's nothing they can do about Definitely. it? Definitely. We are talking about MySpace and people. They disappeared. They were the biggest thing in the world and they fell off the face of the earth. And that's going to happen to Facebook and Twitter someday. But one of the, the key things that Facebook have done is they've diversified yep. and they've acquired other businesses. So it's more of a, a company. Which uh, is also exactly what Google did. It's more of a holding company now than a... Because Google sees something like YouTube taking over the world. They're like, buy it. <laughs> I want it. It's yeah, ours. Google's like ours. And YouTube is one of the, the biggest sites in the world. Yeah, but like, is there a case of, of a company taking on too many divisions and then that, that could possibly cause them strife in the future definitely over diversification isn't isn't a good idea either because then too many hens in the roost what's that phrase you don't see the bird that much anymore actually you don't it's in the logo yeah and they have the eggs whenever you don't have a profile picture they haven't really like maybe they could actually like like do what they do in japan and just have the twitter mascot be everywhere yeah they can just put it they can buy a sports team and just have it's the New York Mets with Did, the Twitter bird. <laughs> exactly. Didn't they have a thing recently in the news where the Burger King sponsors, they paid $200,000 for him to stand next to a famous trainer at a derby in the UK? The <laughs> that derby. seems like a good way to spend money, doesn't it? It's really creepy because like, they, they're completely ignoring him and he's yeah, standing there going, like, yeah, the Burger King. With that permanent smile on his face. So Burger King is one of the more creepy mascots, isn't he? He is. He looks like he'd show up outside your window going, hello. And murder you. Yeah. With his burgers. Actually, I like Burger King. I prefer the McDonald's. But speaking of creepy mascots, Ronald McDonald. Come on. Come on, clowns. Ronald is innocent. Clowns can't. Clowns. Grimace you want to look out for. They've uh, redesigned the hamburger, haven't they? To make it more attractive. Or like giving him boobs or what? I don't know. I just heard about that. We should we should investigate that and report on it next yeah. week in a feature story. <laughs> we'll talk for 20 minutes about the, the design of the hamburger. If you were a kid in the 90s and did not see this show, then you're probably lying about your age. We all know you're not 25. The Crystal Maze is returning to TV. 
the enormously popular adventure quiz show is making a comeback with a new live immersive experience. The show, which aired on Channel 4 from 1990 to 1995, is currently taking submissions for new contestants and teasing a new layout of the maze on Instagram. The classic format featured four different zones, each themed after different periods in time and space, each contestant playing for crystals, which offered them time to nab golden tickets in the crystal maze. The show's Twitter account is teasing an interactive element to the show, tweeting that the legendary game is back, but this time we all get to play. That almost sounds worrying. Yeah. I just want people wandering around doing silly little challenges and running around picking up tickets. Yeah. That was one of the harder final challenges I remember from TV shows. For people who haven't seen The Crystal Maze, your childhood was deprived, but I'll explain. Each crystal was worth five seconds, I think, in the final round. You go into this big crystal dome... And you have to, you had to get, I can't remember the amount of tickets, like there were silver and gold tickets and it, it, the machine would blow them all up in the air and you had to get as many gold tickets as you can. And each silver ticket that you put in the box would count against you. So you had to get an aggregate of gold tickets. I think it was 50. I think it was 50. Yeah. And you win the big prize. And if you had failed the challenge, you'd get locked into the room. Yeah. And you can exchange a crystal to get them locked out. So it's kind of, do you want the five seconds at the end or do you want the extra person? Yeah, so like this, everyone gets to play. Almost sounds like a Hunger Games thing. Yeah, who will survive? And the, the whole live immersive uh, experience sounds very press conferency and interactive yeah. social media. I, I hate mean, any time I read any of that. It's just like, geez, guys, just give me a good fun game show. So, like, if you notice there, if I read out, they have a website. They already have a Twitter. They have an Instagram, and like a lot of co- like shows do that just because they think they should. Yeah, and they have no real purpose for it. I'm not going to lie, I saw the jackets. They have like the redesigned jackets with yeah. the crystal on the back. I want one. I remember. So I will be sub- submitting my request <laughs> yeah, well, to, we'll to be, join. We'll try and get on the crystal maze. We'll, the, we'll do the podcast live from the crystal maze. I'm in the room here trying to do the challenge. I don't know how to do it. <laughs> yeah. I've got 10 seconds left before I get locked in here. I remember when we first got Sky Digital, when we first got kind of paid television, the first thing we did was turn on challenge and watch a bunch of those shows. Yeah, so like literally all we watched for the first maybe year we had Sky was yeah. Crystal Maze and wrestling. And Fort Boyard, Fort stuff Boyard. like that. It's but like, this is amazing. This is what we've been missing out on. Like we, we had the what we call here in Ireland the poverty package, which was the terrestrial. Yeah, RT1, RT2, TV3 and TG Car. And then we're like, this is the future. Yeah. Even though it's the past. Even though <laughs> yeah, it's from a decade after we had gotten uh, paid television. Richard O'Brien and Ed Tudor Pohl headed up the old show. Yeah. Not likely to present the new version. Richard O'Brien was much better than Ed Tudor Pohl. Yeah, they're likely it's likely that they're gonna get some kind of young female presenter. Probably good looking. Yeah. Probably we, break out Melinda Messenger from the Yeah. No, she's kinda of old now. From the vault. From the cat deity or something like that. I much preferred Richard O'Brien to, to Ed Tudor Pohl. Yeah, I can't even remember Ed Tudor Pohl if I'm he, terribly honest. He was the guy with the hair. Yeah, I remember like Richard O'Brien because he was bald and distinguishable. Yeah. But literally I couldn't tell you what Ed Tudor Paul. It's really hard to say his name. It is. It's a double barrel name. But I'm looking forward to it. I, I will watch it. Yeah. Because for the nostalgia aspect alone, they've posted some stuff on Instagram about, about the new layout and it, it looks the exact same. So I don't know what they're, <laughs> they're as new about it. But And everything it, old is coming back now, isn't it? Yeah. There's no new ideas anymore. It's basically like 
this hasn't been done in a while. Let's dust it off and see if people will notice that it's not a new idea. We don't need new ideas. Let's bring back Jurassic Park. Or but nostal- let's bring back Crystal Maze. Exactly. We've said it before. Nostalgia is really is big business. Like, yeah. If you can tap into that part of people's brains, they're it, they're going to come in their droves. You still need to be good in your own right, though. Yeah. Like, people will show up for the first episode. If it's terrible, they won't come back. Because there has been some reboots in recent years that just didn't work out. Because nothing worse, there's nothing worse if you pander to people's nostalgia and then you do something that's entirely different from the original. It's like, this isn't what I remembered. Terrible. You're sullying the name of the crystal maze. You're ruining my childhood. I've got the theme song stuck in my head all day. But uh, I think our goal for the next six months should be to get on the show. Maybe we should. I would. I'd probably be terrible on that show. Yeah, it requires get, like thinking under pressure. I'm not good under pressure. I'll probably get locked in the first room and it'll leave me there. Yeah, you put some pressure on on me. It's like I can't move the poles to make the thing work. Yeah. <laughs> you got ten seconds. Get, get, come out! Come out! Come out! He's like, no, no, I'm gonna finish. I'm oh. gonna finish. I can do it. I've been locked in. Stuck in there now. Good luck, guys. Bye. You gonna buy him out? No, he's terrible. We're not gonna sacrifice our five seconds for <laughs> this guy. <laughs> he's not worth it. Sadly, it was a week of loss as another legend of entertainment passed away on Sunday. Hello, and greetings to you all, whatever you may be. And thank you, as always, for your appreciation and help during my life as an actor. Christopher Lee dies at age of 93. The legendary actor is best known for his roles as Dracula and Saruman in the Lord of the Rings franchise. Great impression. And it nailed it. The former Bond villain died at 8.30am on Sunday morning at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital in London. Lee's wife, Bridget Crunkey, decided to withhold the information for four days until all family members and friends were informed, hence the delay in the story breaking. The couple had been married for more than 50 years and had one daughter. But I think that's a really cool thing. Like, that really struck me how... They actually were able to keep the media at bay and and prevent them from finding out for literally nearly an entire week. Yeah, and that no one found out, no one that was close to him found out about this by seeing it in the news. Yeah. Which I think must kind of suck if you're a celebrity and, and, and if someone knows them. Yeah. And the first thing you hear of your friend or, or, your, or your family member dying is when you read it on Twitter. Whereas in this instance, it was kept within the family and everyone was informed in a way that's kind of at least more thoughtful. And dignified. Yeah. Director Tim Burton, who worked with Lee on five films, described him as a true legend, saying that he was the last of his kind, who I am fortunate to have called a friend. He will continue to inspire me, and I am sure countless others for generations to come. He played a lot of roles. He in did. He reached ninety-three, so you're gonna you're gonna go through a lot of films in that. He was in time. The Wicker Man, the original one, not the Nicolas Cage Man. One. He was in The Man with the Golden Gun as Scaramanga, a Bond villain. So he's literally done it all. He's kind of a very much a classic villain as well, isn't he? Yeah, like literally, like if you want a guy to play your villain, it's him. Yep. Even up until recently, there was rumors that he was going to play the Master in Doctor Who. He would have been really good there, wouldn't he? That would have been really or good. Or maybe uh, the, the most recent Master was an older man who regenerated into a younger man. If yeah, they, Jacoby. Yeah, if they, if they did something similar. Yeah, just for, like, for yeah. one episode and then he... Yeah, but I suppose that would have been too repetitive, perhaps. Yeah, probably. But it's Doctor Who. It's, yeah. it's nearly all repetitive. One of the coolest stories I heard was that for the last uh, few Hobbit films, he wasn't able to make the trip to New Zealand anymore because it was too risky. And that he 
they had the entire set flown to London and all the crew all the crew who were involved in the scene and all the actors came just so he could be involved and he wouldn't have to recast him or CGI him or something terrible like that. Which is really kind of cool that he got to finish out that character's story. Because yeah, that's, uh, like, my generation, that's that's what I know him from, from yeah. the Lord of the Rings films and, and respect, uh, the Star Wars films. They respect him enough, yeah. He was uh, Count Dooku or yeah. Darth Tyrannus, I think it was I called. think so, yeah. yeah. There's a lot of Darths. Yeah. But literally... There's, so, like, Star Wars nerds that are listening to this. They're like, yeah. no! You idiots! Minus five stars! Yeah. But the, the really cool thing was that he wasn't afraid to take roles like that. He was a very serious actor. Some call him the King of Horror for his Dracula roles and yeah. things like The Wicker Man. But he really didn't take himself too seriously as an actor to the point where he goes, I'll never do a fantasy film. Or he just really did whatever interested him or whatever inspired him. He did, and obviously whatever paid him well isn't going to hurt either. He's a businessman too. And he reached 93. That's that's a fair old innings. Yeah, that's like, a- he released a heavy, meti- a heavy metal album in his 90s called... Uh, Charlemanga Omens of Death. It was the sequel to to By the Sword and the Cross. A ninety year old releasing a metal album. You know, he's done it all when you're a ninety year old who released a metal album. There's an interesting anecdote that he was actually related to Tolkien and he read the Lord of the Rings book at least once a year. So like this kind of fulfilling a kind of a dream. To to be part of the franchise. He was so good at Saruman. Definitely. Like literally the perfect casting and the, the perfect antithesis. And I, did, I said it right the first time. I didn't need to doubt myself. Yeah. To Ian McKellen's Gandalf as well. He played Ansem in Kingdom Hearts, the game. And I like the Kingdom Hearts game. For those five other people who are listening that have played those games. Hey, the E3 is next week, and they're probably going to announce more about Kingdom Hearts 3, and everyone's going to go nuts. So It is Disney and Final Fantasy mixed it's, together. It's like my dream. It's like two of my favorite things mixed together, and he's in it. There's a video on YouTube of somebody making an actual real Keyblade. I want that. And they also made one of Cloud Sword. I want to keep it. Apparently it's too heavy to even lift. When I when I get a house, I'm going to get one of those keyblades and it's actually going to be the key to my front door. I'm going to carry it around with me. Giant, exaggerated lock. Keyblade. So you're just going to like... Where are you going to put the key when you're out and about? Over my back. Sword back. style. Yeah. Sword style. I'm going to get a sheath for it. That's cool. I'm actually going to do that now. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to that. You're holding me to writing an erotic novel. Yeah. So I'm going to hold you to that. If you don't do it, then you owe me a Coke. Mm. And by that, I mean a ton of cocaine that I can sell and become a drug lord. You would make lots of money as a drug lord. Yeah. We make could fund money. the podcast. Exactly. This is like the weekend show sponsored by Coke. Not the Coke that you're thinking of. <laughs> okay. We're getting sidetracked from poor Christopher Lee. Online tributes have rolled in from his Lord of the Rings co-stars, Dominic Monaghan. And Elijah Wood, as well as Roger Moore, who played his James Bond. Do you want to read some of the tweets, Scar? Yep, Elijah Wood tweeted, An extraordinary man and life lead, Sir Christopher Lee. You're an icon and a towering human being with stories for days. We'll miss you. And Dominic, Mon- Dominic Monaghan tweeted... It's hard to say, isn't it? He yeah, because you, you kind of... When you get to the M in Dominic, you almost instinctively move toward the Monaghan. So you almost want to say the Monaghan. Yeah. <laughs> But he tweeted, so sorry to hear that Christopher Lee has passed away. He was a fascinating person. Threw a big pen into a tree in front of me. The weird thing is, it almost se- like it says here in the tweet, hashtag Christopher Lee. And like, like that's to make it trend, obviously. And that, that seems like a tribute. Like that's as, as fitting a tribute as you can offer in a digital age. But it also seems a little cheap to me. Yeah, it's, it's modern culture though now, isn't it? Everything's a hashtag. Yeah, it almost seems like beneath his, his memory, but... 
that's besides the point. Roger Moore, who is on Twitter, Sir Roger Moore. Everyone has a Twitter. (laughs) It's like Roger Moore has a Twitter. I'm going to try and read this in his voice. I'm going to fail. Uh, It's it's terrible when... No, I'm not going to try. No, we'll just... just, Yeah. This is actually... He actually did a a typo. He says, it's terribly when you lose an old friend. And Christopher Lee was one of my oldest. We first met in 1948. Did you just... Did you just criticize someone's tribute to a long-standing friend for having a typo? There's a typo in his t- tribute. Seriously, 1948. That's a long time ago. That's like that's like just at the end of a world war. It's like 41 years before I was born. Yeah. Uh, Mark Gattis, who would have uh, wrote Sherlock as well as some Doctor Who episodes, tweeted, The great, always criminally underrated Sir Christopher Lee has left us. A titan of cinema and a huge part of my youth. Farewell. The UK Prime Minister and Boris Johnson also tweeted, but realistically, who cares about them? It's weird. His tweet starts with PM, so they know he's the Prime Minister. Yeah, I always find that weird. It's like, otherwise, all the other tweets, because you know everything that doesn't have PM in it is just coming from his people. So really, what's the point of those tweets? Exactly. But it almost seems like he tweets because he has to. They always do. It's like... uh, Because he's expected to do it rather than he would want to do it. Of course, really, is a a titan of, of film around forever. And like th- that's a kind of cool thing. I think that's something that we all strive for. Like he's literally become immortal now through yeah. his films, and he'll live on forever. Like he lived forever in real life. Yeah. But he's going to live on forever now through his characters, and new generations will discover and love him as much as as people do now. Like the, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy will go down as one of the kind of in, in fifty sixty years those will be the classic films. Those yeah. those are the Casablancas for us. Yeah. And people will remember them, and people will watch them. And same with Star Wars, because there's going to be another 9 billion Star Wars sequels. People will go back and watch the, the original trilogy and the prequels, and they'll go, well, there's Christopher Lee, and he's awesome. Okay, so that was your week in words. Up next, we pay tribute to the life and times of the late Dusty Rhodes, who passed away tragically earlier this week. Do not press pause. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Here's the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. And Dusty, your fans welcome you back, man. First of all, I would like to thank the many, many fans throughout this country that wrote cards and letters to Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, while I was down. Secondly, I want to thank Jim Crockett Promotions for waiting and taking the time because I know how important it was. Starcade 85, it is to the resident fans, it is to Jim Crockett Promotions. And Dusty Rhodes, the American dream, with that weight, got what I wanted. Ric Flair, the world's heavyweight champion. I don't have to say a lot more about the way I feel about Ric Flair. No respect, no honor. There is no honor among thieves in the first place. He put hard times on Dusty Rhodes and his family. You don't know what hard times are, Daddy. Hard times are when the textile workers around this country are out of work and got four or five kids and can't pay their wages, can't buy their food. Hard times are when the auto workers are out of work and they tell them go home. And hard times are when a man has worked at a job 30 years, 30 years. They give him a watch, kick him in the butt and say, hey, a computer took your place, Daddy. That's hard times. That's hard times. 
And Ric Flair, you put hard times on this country by taking Dusty Rhodes out. That's hard time. And we all had hard times together. I admit I don't look like the athlete of the day supposed to look. My belly's just a little big. My hand is just a little big. But brother, I am bad and they know I'm bad. And there were two bad people. One was John Wayne and he's dead, brother. And the other one's right here. Nature Boy Ric Flair. The world's heavyweight title belongs to these people. I'm going to reach out right now. I want you at home to know my hand is touching your hand for this gathering of the biggest body of people in this country, in this universe, all over the world now. Reach it out because the love that was given me and this time I will repay you now because I will be the next world's heavyweight champion on this hard time blues. Dusty Rhodes Tour 85 and Ric Flair, Nature Boy. Let me leave you with this. One way to hurt Ric Flair is to take what he cherishes more than anything in the world. That's the world's heavyweight title. I'm gonna take it, I've been there twice. This time when I take it, Daddy, I'm gonna take it for you. Let's gather for it. Don't let me down now, cause I came back for you, for that man up there that died 10, 12 years ago and never got the opportunity to see a real Wolf champion. And I'm proud of you and thank God I have you. And I love you. Love you! On June 10th, or last Wednesday, the world of professional wrestling lost an icon. The legendary American Dream Dusty Rhodes, known as one of the most charismatic and engaging wrestlers ever, sadly passed away. He was 69 years old. Dusty, born in Austin, Texas, was best known for his time working in Florida as well as Jim Crockett promotions in WCW. Before getting into wrestling, he was a college football player and a basketball player at West State, Texas. He got into pro wrestling after playing semi-pro football. He held the NWA Championship on three occasions, most notably defeating the Nature Boy Ric Flair in a steel cage match at the Great American Bash in 1986. He'll be remembered for the degree to which he could connect with the crowd. While he was never the most athletically gifted of wrestlers, he could connect with any audience around the world. He will be deeply missed. I, I literally... Could not believe when I heard the news. Yeah, there's yeah. there's certain people that when they die, you know, Christopher Lee was ninety three, so when he dies, it's it's not entirely unexpected. But he was sixty nine, and he you just you imagine Dusty is almost somewhat eternal, don't you? Yeah, it's someone that's going to live on forever. Yeah, he's going to outlive me. Or <laughs> yeah, I think it's like in, in today's world, sixty nine seems like a young age. Before yeah. it would have been a good innings, as we said earlier. Yeah, but it's not anymore. Uh, maybe the circumstances of his death being so sudden. And the fact that, you know, it was just a really, literally a sudden illness and he was taken from us, maybe what caused such an impact in terms of, the, like, I I just, like, my I, I was at work and so, another fan told me the news and I was like, no. And he also that thing you go, no. Yeah, well, that's what I need. You see people trending these days on Twitter, like Charlie Sheen was trending and you almost assume the worst. Yeah. And then you have to kind of question, well, is it a hoax? Has someone made it up? But no, it's... it's. And then when you find out it's real, it's just very sad, isn't it? Yeah, but he, as you said, he'll have a, an impact and an influence that will last forever. Do you want to 
talked about what do you think Rhodes' impact on the wrestling business will be? As I said, he was never he was never the best wrestler in the world. You know, you wouldn't you can't list the catalogue of like five star top quality Dusty Rhodes moments or matches. You can't really list these these great technical exchanges he's had with people. He, he was known for his like his, his sheer ability to connect with people and to tell a story. Like his his main strength was. Not, as you say, athleticism, but telling a story through his matches. Yeah, and even with his words, just the way he spoke, the cadence, the, the kind of almost musicality to the way he delivered what wrestling calls a promo or an interview. Because we played the Hard Times interview right at the start of the segment. And it's just, it's it's almost a piece of magic, isn't it? Yeah, even if you're not a fan, you can, can't help but be gripped by, that, by his words. Because... He really appeals, to, like he calls himself the common man, and yeah. that was his main appeal. He really appeals to the audience of the, of pro wrestling, who is the common man, who is the everyday person, and says like, and and one of his main legacies, I think, will be is like as an inspiration for people, like because he was a large gentleman, not particularly skilled in terms of athleticism, even though he was an athlete, as you said, he played baseball and and football in college, but he was able to tell a story to the crowd and draw them in. And he shows us that no matter who you are, you can achieve your dreams if you try hard enough and you believe in yourself. And he was kind of the very, the most basic character. Like the he was the, the personification of the American dream that this is a guy who, if you work hard, you can achieve your dreams. The son of achieve, a plumber. Yeah, the son of a plumber. And he's, he's a common man, the everyday working man who just put in the work and achieved it all. As well as being an inspiration for wrestlers around the world and wrestling fans. Like, these are lessons that any person can take. Yeah, especially, like, back in, like, the 70s and 80s, they were kind of a more innocent time. These days, we're more kind of obsessed with the anti-hero. And, and a kind bit of, more cynical. Yeah, dark and cynicism. But back then, there was uh, that kind of that kind of idea, idea, and those kind of ideals really stood out. And then he portrayed them in a way that was just so engaging. It drew you in. Like, yeah. if, if you look, uh, Google the words, or YouTube the words, Dusty Rhodes promo... And you can go through promos all day. You just listen to the man speak. Yeah. it's He's so good. He was just so good. I think it's funny how WWE treated him with such rev- reverence these days when he had, when actually during his, his run in the, in the late, I think it was the late 80s? Uh, started in the 90s, I think. Started yeah. in the 90s. Like they really treated him as a bit of a joke. Yeah. Uh, they, he was known as, as kind of a cowboy. That was kind of his, his character. He was, uh, he wore the cowboy hat, he wore the boots. And when he went to WWE, he had this singlet on that had polka dots on it, and it it wasn't the most form flattering. Yeah. And the idea, it's long considered that it was a joke at Dusty's expense. Yeah. And Vince McMahon and his is cutting off the nose despite his face. Yeah. True to form, though, he made it work. For he him. made it work. That's how good he was. And I was watching a documentary on him during uh, uh, during the week, and he was just like, "They could have put me in anything, I would have made it work." And he would have. He was just that charismatic. He was that good. And not only charismatic, but determined and yeah. hardworking. He's like, I don't care what you're going to give me. I'm going to take lemons and make lemonade. And he, he already had his legacy. You know, he had the NW title runs. He had the matches with Flair. He had the matches with Billy Graham. He, he had his legacy. So he, he it's not like, you know, he was still fighting for everything. Yeah. He, he, he was kind of confident in what he could do at that stage. Yeah. So he's just like, I'm going to make it work. And he did it very well. He's he's not so fondly remembered in the booking sense. He did book in WWE. Well, he did a really good job at first, kind of because he booked Jim Crockett Promotions. Yeah, and he did a really good job with Jim Crockett Promotions for a few years. Business was booming, and then slowly it began to trail off as his ideas kind of ran out. Because he had a really good roster back then, like Flair and and Harley Race and himself. 
that he could kind of rely on to deliver in, in the main event situations. And slowly it started to peter out. He, it, he became known for what's now called the dusty finish. Can you please tell people for who who aren't fans or maybe fans who aren't familiar what the dusty finish is? And just so we're talking about bookers, the idea of booking, he essentially, he, he writes the show. You know, yeah. he says, you are going to face this person and then here's who's going to win. Here's how you're going to win. And works out the storylines. Yeah. So the the dusty finish is when you have one person, you have a title match and you have one person beat the other for the title and then reverse the decision later. So you have kind of the, the gratification of this big title change. Stage. When uh, Starcade 85, Dusty Rhodes beat Ric Flair for the, the NWA title, but it was reversed. The decision was later reversed. So it's it's almost cheating people. You know, people in the building at Starcade 85, they saw that big title change. They saw their hero, Dusty Rhodes, beat the villainous Ric Flair. But then you pulled the rug out from under him, and that kind of really got on people's nerves. You can't do it. Like, I think it is the frequency with which he did it. Yeah, he did it. He did a lot. <laughs> as in, like, you, like it works as a swerve. In, in It works once. In like, like any good thing, it works once. And if you try it again, it's going to piss people off. Yeah. But, like, we're getting too much into the negative stuff people said about him. But And he booked WCW as well. And he booked a bit of TNA as well. His booking run in TNA wasn't that bad. Yeah. Like, no one did good business in DNA, but creatively it was fine. It was steady, I thought. Yeah, there was much worse booking regimes in DNA. He, he did a bit of wrestling in DNA as well. He did. He? I remember he wrestled AJ Styles and he lost a match by pinfall while he was in the figure four. Yeah. And that's the first time I've ever seen that. Usually no one ever, you know, when they count the shoulders, they usually shoulder up. Yeah. But not count the shoulders three, he was pinned. It was actually, like, mind-boggling to actually see it happen. Yeah, like he always knew his place, as in he would never have booked himself to win that match, you know. Or yep. he, he like his his role was to enhance talent. Like he, like he was always like, and I think the reason that he booked that finish so often was that he was always better in pursuit of the title yeah, than he the, ever the, was he as was, the champion. He was the underdog chasing the dream, and he could only really fulfill the dream once. You know, once you yeah. fulfill the dream, the question is, where do you go from there? And he fulfilled the dream a year later at the Great American Bash when he beat Flair. So and in fairness, that dusty finish did eventually lead to him actually winning the title. Yeah. But when he wins the title, he's achieved the American dream. So where do you go after that? That was and that was probably a big reason why business started to decline a couple of years after that. Yeah. Because people were so into Dusty and so into like him as as this lovable underdog. So when you see him fill the dream, you've seen the story. The story is in theory over. You know, if if that if this is a sports film, the moment where he beats Flair is the end. Everything after that is is kind of you peak and you're on the downslope. Now, we've both seen the match in which he wins the title. But for mm-hmm. the people who haven't heard about it or have seen it at home, can you just give them a little flavor of what it was like? Well, it was a cage match, so it's it's bloody and violent and they're beating each other up. And Ric Flair lifts him up for a power slam. Dusty kind of rolls him up, catches him, quick pin. Dusty rolls his NWA heavyweight champion of the world. Covered in a crimson mask of blood. Yeah. And it's, I, I, Dusty's forehead wasn't wasn't a sight to look at, no. <laughs> considering how often he bled. Yeah, but he, like he he happily did it because he just like whatever it took to to entertain the fans, he did it. And just just for a note, rest, uh, blood is real in wrestling. They do yeah. actually cut their foreheads. It's quite gruesome. It's fairly they, gruesome. Basically, yeah. they cut a blade for themselves and they hide it and they pull it out when no one's looking and they cut their forehead. It's not allowed anymore. As we should know. Well, it's not allowed in WWE. Other people still do it. Yeah, it's, it's quite rare for it to happen. Yeah, because it, it's seen as unhygienic and it's, yeah, un- but, unsafe. Yeah. Uh, uh, Diseases that can transmit through uh, blood contact and open wounds and that kind of stuff, it becomes an insurance risk more than anything else. But that cage match is, is a prime example of what a cage match should be. Yeah. 
And even if I, even though I watched it 20 years after the fact, like, and I knew what the result was going to be, I still got entirely engaged in it. And, and when you watch and pulled in, when you watch those Dusty Rhodes matches, you see those people believed in him. And it is yeah. tough to, to kind of understand that out of context, you know, or years past the fact we weren't there at the time. But you see those people, like, they, they honestly, there was something tangible about the degree to which they actually believed in you Dusty Rhodes. feel the anticipation and the want and the need yeah. for him to, to achieve this dream in the arena. And people cried. Yeah. And, you like, you see him doing punches and they go nuts. And, you know, they do the, he does the bionic elbow and they go nuts. And you're like, well, he's just punching him, but... They believe in him, you know, that they, they actually have a connection with him on a kind of a deeply personal level. And that's one thing that some wrestlers need to learn today. They do. It? It's not about the moves. It's about what you make them mean. Exactly. What, what you do. The moves are cool, too. Yeah. But it, it, they don't mean anything unless you make them mean something. Yep. And less is more, I think. And Dusty knew that. Yeah. He wasn't one for doing three flips and a back flip yeah. and package pile drivers. I was Mostly he just punched, kicked and elbowed. Yeah. I was fortunate to hear him speak one time. Uh, I was at a Hall of Fame. And I just remember, just like, I didn't know much about Dusty at the time. I'll, I'll be honest, I hadn't seen much of his back catalogue because it's been a bit before my time. But I, I wanted to hear what he had to say. He's such a good speaker. You just, like, as I said, we played the, the clip at the start of this, this show. If you listen to that and you're not like, I want to listen to more of that man. Like, you're not a human being. <laughs> and, like, it was a crowd of unruly fans who are kind of crazy at the best of time. Yeah. But nobody said a word when he spoke. And that will be his lasting legacy. His it's... words really inspired people and caused a passion that, that like, actors would pay millions to, to elicit on screen. Yeah, because he seemed real. You know, when he's like, I've wined and dined with kings and queens and I've slept in alleys and ate pork and beans. It's just like... There's 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 a musicality. It is. There's it's almost like poetry. It's it's and you, you you when he says that and he flows and he's constantly going. It's just like Dusty Rhodes is amazing. But not only is it clever, but it seems sincere as well. Yeah, because his delivery was was so good that he was believable. You know, these days when you you watch pro wrestling, you see a lot of scripting, so none of it ever seems believable. You never actually believe any of these people are the characters they say they are. Whereas when you heard Dusty Rhodes speak, you're like, yeah, he's the common man. He represents me and what I'm trying to do. He represents my dream. And you can't help but love him. So really, the, the, the character was, was, was the making, but it was genius. It just, and, it, and the thing was, it's simple. It doesn't do anything that's like no bells and whistles. He wrestled in, in normal trunks. He did, well, besides the polka dot trunks. But that, was well, years yeah, later. that was years later. We but won't talk about that. He didn't do anything, he didn't do anything that was extraordinary. But he was himself, and that was enough. Yeah, and he wasn't a bad wrestler, don't get us wrong. He was, you know, usually if you watch a Dusty Rose match, usually because the crowd are going nuts, so you can't help but think, oh, this is really good. Yeah. But, like, he had good matches, but he, like, he wouldn't have been, Ric Flair, say, would have been his contemporary at the time, who would have been known for having classic matches. But he was clever, and he was in the same line of, like, Hulk Hogan, say, where he knew his limitations, and he did what he did well. And exactly. He, and that was it. Uh, the reaction of the wrestling world has been, understandably, and predictably sad yeah like it's come through some of the social media it just seems to be the, the place where people leave their condolences these days it's it's the quickest way to communicate with people i suppose that's true uh, vince mcmahon said a sad day for wb one of the most innovative charismatic superstars of all time dusty Rhodes passed away we loved him uh dusty had four children two of which are pro wrestlers uh gold dust and cody Rhodes, who's currently going by stardust 
But Golda said, yesterday the greatest man I ever knew passed on. My father, who was surrounded by four children, my daughter, and his wife of 38 years. Dad was our hero, and he personally taught me many life lessons. I thank you and the world for the overwhelming amount of love and support for the greatest dad that ever lived. Grab your loved ones and hold tight, because you don't know what you have till it's gone. I love you, Dad, and I know you're in heaven getting funky like a monkey with the angels. I miss you so much, Dusty, uh, Dustin Runnels. Uh, that's that's incredibly sad because he had two sons, who both of whom are wrestlers. Goldust is toward the end of his career at this stage, yeah. And then Cody Rhodes, who's kind of in the middle of things, yeah. Still to be seen how he'll do in the end. But I think the key to success with Cody going forward is maybe adopting some of the same, not copying his dad because nobody wants that, yeah. But because think- uh, Goldust, like the, the early stages of his career when he was just kind of Dustin Runnels or yeah. Dustin Rhodes. You could see him trying to copy kind of certain elements of his dad, like the bleach yeah. blonde hair and how he looked. And like he was a good wrestler in his own right. Yeah. But uh, he wasn't his dad. He was great. That, uh, he's, technically, he's very sound in the ring. He and is. Even as, uh, in, in his mid-40s now, he's really, really solid. Yeah. Um, I just think it's about being real. I think that's what gets people and that's what endears you to people as a fan. And if you don't watch wrestling, I, like, I think we could recommend that you at least check out Dusty Rhodes and, and appreciate him for his art. Yeah. Because I don't think you need to be a fan to appreciate, first of all, his, his skill with words and his skill with connecting with people, but also his, his flair for excitement. Like He reminds me of like the best politicians. You know, when the politi- yeah. when, when they speak and you actually believe what they're saying, it's a similar cadence, a similar kind of rhythm to the way they speak. But like a beacon of hope that people can look to and no matter what's going on in their lives, they say, Dusty did it, I can do it too. Uh, Dusty Rhodes was heavily involved with uh, WWE's developmental league where they uh, train new wrestlers and kind of bring them up to, to get them ready for the big leagues. He was heavily involved with that. It was what's called NXT. Uh, Sami Zayn, who works down there, wrote a, a tremendous um, account of his relationship with Dusty. So did Kevin Owens. So I recommend checking those out if you can find them on their respective Twitter pages. But here's a, a kind of Extract from Sammy's. As I recount these little anecdotes, I can't help but feel lucky to have gotten the past two and a half years to work with Dusty. This man had seen it all, done it all, watched generations come and go, and had a wealth of knowledge and understanding of the business that literally no one else on earth possessed. I got to share in that, and that's just amazing to me. And all the people he seemed to work with in NXT kind of spoke extraordinarily highly of him, which kind of reflects well on his character. Nobody had a bad word to say about him because he was always generous with his time. Like, uh, I mean, he was getting older, and he still stayed involved. I mean, many people might have retired by now, but like he just wanted to give. Like he always wanted to give back, even when he was at his height. He never was selfish about you know losing or, or like giving a, a young person a chance. Like he was always about giving back and making the business better than he when he encountered it the first time. He wanted to leave it better off than he than he came into it. Yeah, even Fergal Devitt, Ireland's kind of great hope as a pro wrestler. Uh, he taught Fergal how to drive. <laughs> he, yeah, he was his driving instructor. And that's just like, that's like a really bizarre thing, but yeah. it, it just showed him like, if whatever you needed, he'll do it for you. And if you watch some Dusty Rhodes stuff, just go watch it and then imagine him teaching you how to drive. That must have been hilarious. Do you think he was like cutting a promo when yeah. he was teaching him to Listen drive? Listen here, daddy, turn left. Turn left. Left is the road to your dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's, I can actually imagine him saying stuff like that. Oh, that would have been fantastic. They should have recorded that as a reality series. Dusty teaching people to drive. So what do you think his legacy will be overall? 
he'll he's he'll be remembered as one of the, the most charismatic wrestlers of all time. It's not an understatement. It's not not hyperbole to actually say that he is one of the best talkers in the history of pro wrestling. That's what he'll be remembered for. That's what people in fifty years will go. Dusty Rhodes, I'll go listen to his promos because you you wouldn't watch a bunch of Dusty Rhodes matches one after another. But literally, you could go through and there's one of those kind of crawls into YouTube that you never ever get out of. And you could just go promo after promo after promo, interview after interview, and listen to him speak. And you could literally stay at that all day. And what can people who aren't wrestling fans take from his, his life and his career? Work hard, strive toward your dream, and you'll get there eventually. So, exactly. And in terms of if you're an actor, watch his matches, listen to his promos. You're going to learn something from it. Yeah, if you're, if you're an actor, you can understand how to come across as, as believable rather than, you know, acting. Or if, you're give, or if you're nervous about public speaking and you want to know how to give a speech, watch Dusty. Yeah, do your best Dusty Rhodes impression. I'm sure you'll actually at least entertain people. Possibly minus the lisp. Yeah, but... And all the, the daddies and if you wheels. We are big wrestling fans, but we can't stress enough how entertaining he would he is and will be to, to, to anybody yep. who encounters him. So if you're looking, if you're looking to, to maybe see what we're talking about, and see for yourself if we're just talking crap or we're actually telling the truth. Dusty Rhodes, you can you can Google it. You can YouTube they're, it. they're all on YouTube. Yeah, you can yeah. spend hours on YouTube watching them talk. You can you can catch them on the WWE Network for nine ninety nine. Please sponsor us. I feel bad for almost. I feel bad for plugging. <laughs> it is a great service. It in is, fairness, but uh, check it out. And and there'll there's it's there'll free no for doubt June. it's it is. free. And, and there's there there'll be a tribute. There will no doubt be a tribute in the next few days. Exactly. And the documentary is fantastic. So. Yep. American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, 1945 to 2015. Rest in peace. You will be missed. We will be right back to say goodbye. You're listening to the Weekend Show Podcast with Ken Kidney. Download every Sunday at soundcloud.com slash the weekend show. Okay, guys, if you're out there listening in podcast land, I'd like to thank you for taking time to click play on, on our podcast. You can find a new episode every Sunday at soundcloud.com forward slash the weekend show i know the show has been going up on monday in recent weeks but i really mean it someday it will go up on sunday you can follow us on facebook on facebook.com forward slash twskk and on twitter at twskk our theme music is by mr dron and until next time say goodbye gary bye bye take it easy everybody